crowd scene. Everybody knew what went on there. I mean, everybody knew that the best musicians played in all the sessions, but we as the general public didn't know. They played so well, and they played so well together. I was in awe of them because of Phil Spector. I pulled my car over the side of the road and said, what am I listening to here? The musicians were really the unsung heroes of all those hit records. When I listen to the record, it is so apparent that these guys were just really so good. And you can see why everybody used them. Well, The Wrecking Crew is the story of the Los Angeles session musicians in the 60s who became known as the Wrecking Crew. They were the guys that did everything from the Beach Boys, Sinatra, Fit Dimension, Jan and Dean, Mamas and Papas. Uh, they did Petula Clark when she was here, Elvis. Anything that was done in L.A., these session musicians had a piece of it. This documentary tells the story of all these musicians, the engineers, the artists, and uh, a story about my father, Tommy Tedesco, who was one of the great guitar players at the time. You're listening to Crowd Scene, the show about successful crowdfunding campaigns and the people who make them happen. I'm Michael Ogden. And I'm Peter Dean. For more information about this podcast or to subscribe to our newsletter, please visit us at crowdsceneshow.com. This is part one of our two-part conversation with filmmaker and successful crowdfunder Denny Tedesco. Be sure to subscribe to iTunes or any other podcast app and don't miss part two coming out in our next episode of Crowd Scene. Before we dive into rock and roll history with Denny, we have a quick update on one of our previous guests here on Crowdscene. You may remember that back in April, we talked with Timothy Sullivan, the intriguingly titled architect to the curator at the Mysterious Package Company. He was a fantastic guest and it was actually one of our most popular episodes too. You can find it on crowdsceneshow.com if you missed it at the time. Well, the Mysterious Package Company is at it again right now. As this show goes out, they have another fantastically successful project on Kickstarter. And with two weeks left to run, they've already raised more than $300,000. So what are they crowdfunding this time? Well, typically, it's all a bit of a mystery. The title of the project is Filigree in Shadow. It's a Victorian thriller delivered to your doorstep by mail and they've put together the spookiest campaign video we've ever seen. So we highly recommend that you head over to mysteriouspackage.com or search for the Mysterious Package Company on Kickstarter and surprise yourself or someone else by backing the campaign. Our guest on this edition of Crowd Scene has a direct link to some of the greatest pop music ever recorded. Throughout the 1950s and 60s, a group of session musicians in Los Angeles, known as The Wrecking Crew, became the go-to talent for producers and stars, including Elvis Presley, Ella Fitzgerald, The Beach Boys, and dozens, if not hundreds, of others. Their phenomenal contribution to pop music was largely uncredited by record labels, and at the center of the Wrecking Crew was guitarist Tommy Tedesco. And today, we're talking with his son, Denny, who directed and produced an incredible documentary that tells the whole story. Denny released his documentary, also titled The Wrecking Crew, back in 2008, and it did fantastically well in film festivals around the world. But to release the film to a wider audience, he needed to raise enough money to pay the licensing fees for the 120 classic songs featured in the film. Even after receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations, he was still short. So Denny turned to Kickstarter in 2013 to raise a further quarter of a million dollars to cover the rest of the fees. 
Happily, more than 4,000 music-loving backers shared his vision and helped him beat that goal, taking his campaign total up to $313,000. So, dear listeners, if you haven't seen The Wrecking Crew already, hit pause now, go watch it on Netflix, and then come back and listen to the show. You'll be in awe of the man we're about to speak to. Denny, congratulations on the success of The Wrecking Crew, and thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Great to have you here, Denny. And look, there are 120 songs in the movie. Would you say that this is the best soundtrack to any movie ever? <laughs> it's Let's just say it's one of the biggest soundtracks, that's for sure. I mean, it really, I mean, the the union said they never had anything this big in terms of the AFM, American Federation Musicians. Yeah. It's literally, it's like, and with every song in the movie... Well, there's 110 in the movie. There's a, another 15, 20 on the DVD. Every song that I had is connected to these musicians one way or another. Either uh, they recorded on it, they were on the recordings themselves somewhere. Mm-hmm. But every song that I went for, none of them were turned down. Everyone said mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so the, the industry ended up really supporting this film. Very much so. I mean, at first it looked like everybody was trying to actually, it was funny because I was just saying the other day when people were doing um, articles in the paper or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, they were always trying to pick a fight between record labels and myself as if, you know, I was David and Goliath's story. Right. Mm, And the truth was, I was like trying to be real smart about it. It It's like, I do not want to fight with a label. Mm-hmm. Or I'm dead. I don't have a choice, you know. So I had to be very cool about my relationships, and they were very good. I mean, listen, I'm asking for such big discounts from everybody <laughs> that you know I'm on the back burner in terms of <laughs> of helping out. So well, it worked. It's like the it's like the best mixtape of all time. Every throughout the film, yeah. every you know every. 20 seconds or something I was like wow I love this song but also every 20 seconds you're thinking they did that song yeah and they did that song too (laughs) it was amazing it's funny because every you know in the making of it people was in the everybody said well what's stopping you well I need to raise money for the music and originally when I did and well I should start from the beginning I guess yeah you started working on your film in in 1996 I mean why did you feel the need to tell this story well, because dad, my father was passing away mm-hmm. and they gave him uh, less than a year. And I thought I better jump on this quick. I always wanted to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So I was shooting a 16 millimeter film at the time. So were you a, you know, a filmmaker back then? Yeah. I mean, I was a, uh, I was grip lighting, you know, I was starting to produce mm-hmm. things, but uh, this was like my first directing thing. And had you talked to your dad about his his story before, or did you see this as an opportunity you know, to bond with your dad? Yes and no. I, I could, my dad, um, we had done part of a documentary kind of when I was in college, university mm-hmm. in 83, and that's the footage you see. I never went anywhere, mm-hmm. but the footage you see of him in the seminar, doing his seminar. Yes. And mm. his shtick. He's a funny guy. Very funny. Mm. Very uh, down to earth. He was extremely humble. Mm. Um but wicked sense of humor. Yes. Yes. So when I started this in 1996, I can you know, I knew dad's story felt I never told that story in the other documentary, mm-hmm. you know, it was only 30 minutes and it was about just him. And it wasn't, this one wasn't going to be about my dad at all. You know, all. It was going to be about the group of them. And did you find it easy that he, he was uh, eager to tell the story or was it something you had to pull yeah. out of him? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And he also was extremely conscious of what I needed, which mm-hmm. I look back now. Um, that round table, I started with that round table, which is Hal Blaine, the, yes. one of the drummers of all time, 
Carol Kay, the only woman of the group who played bass and guitar, and then Plaz Johnson, who was uh, our sax man. Yeah. Um, and I put them at a round table knowing I wanted to be a voyeur in this discussion. Yes. I just wanted to let them cameras roll. And that was based on Broadway, Danny Rose, the Woody Allen movie. Great film. Yeah. Mm. And when you brought them together, that was the first time they had seen each other in 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I just knew that I call it the quartet without instruments. Mm. And I re recently thought about this. I thought, Wow, that's exactly how I grew up seeing my father yeah. without an instrument because all they did is talk musicians because I never <laughs> went to work with them, my dad. Oh, you never were in the sessions? You were, weren't no, no, not at all. Dad went to work and that was that. And not till later in high school when I realized what he was doing. He was doing his own jazz thing then. Yeah. And I would go on occasionally movie calls, you know, if I wanted to. Um, but did you but, grow up as a fan of your dad's music? Did, was that something no. that was? No. Okay. You're no, and again, I didn't know what my dad was, did. Yeah. I mean, I knew he was a musician, but I'm born in 61. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that dad's working with the Beach Boys. I don't really know that dad's doing this. I kind of know it, but not, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, I guess the Beach Boys aren't such a big deal to a six-year-old. <laughs> What's incredible is that your dad um, and his colleagues were pretty much, they were the Beach Boys besides Brian yeah, Wilson. Yeah, I, <laughs> Which was, blew my mind. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Maybe well, this explains so, why why uh, you didn't end up a guitarist uh, yourself. Yeah, uh, you know it's weird. Because I, I, You've got all those guitars, <laughs> Denny. You should yeah, be a master guitar just, player. I just didn't practice. I guess you got to practice. I'm told. Uh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Did the story change as you were making it? Were there any surprises as it uh, took shape? Very much so. When I started it, we, uh, you know, like I said in 1996, Dad passed away in '97. For, uh, 98, I came out with a 14-minute teaser, and that had like 50 songs in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were just, and I was taking that teaser on VHS tape and trying to get people interested. And people go, wow, this is great, but no one would help us. Yeah. And the reasoning was, they said, no one's going to help you. No one's going to invest. It's The record labels will not come together. They said it's going to be impossible. Because the songs and, are, are going to be off limits. They're going to be too expensive. Exactly. Right. Too expensive, too many. Uh -huh. And labels and publishers won't work with each other, they said. Now, that's in 98. So I kept going, going, going. And finally, in 2006, we had spent so much money and, you know, doing this. And don't forget, I was shooting film for a good five, six years, wow. which isn't easy. So mm -hmm. it was stupid as if <laughs> And what did your wife say, Denny, to you? Uh, she said, well, first she used to say, when she look on the screen, she would go, oh, that's the kitchen I wanted. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, and yeah. Then she'd say, uh, you know, we just made the most expensive home movie ever. Right. And, did and, you and it was, it was, it, but the thing was, it's like, what do I do? So I kept going. Then in 2006, we decided we got to go for it. Mm -hmm. 10 years later, we started cutting. Wow. And wow. Well, uh, did you have any big moments yourself of, of doubt of like, you know what, I need to put this on the shelf and move on well it's that's interesting because that's one of the things that drove me crazy because it was just before when i said i don't i didn't play guitar mm -hmm. um i quit guitar i quit piano i quit sex i mean not enough to even say mm -hmm. i could play a song mm -hmm. but i felt like a quitter when i went mm -hmm. to college i was a writing major right in film you know wrote a few scripts but i didn't write every day yeah. a guitar player writes or plays every day a writer writes every day. I was just getting through life. Yep. And I didn't want this to be on my tombstone as another thing he quit. So this is a personal pride thing at some point. It, it was for a point. And then when 
the changes came about when we got the film started and we started cutting and we had 30 minutes cut and a friend of mine who was a director and a, uh, editor said, why are you guys cutting it like this? I said, what do you mean? He says, any one of us can cut this film just like this. Hmm. And it's a history documentary channel. Right. He said, and it was really insulting, but he's insulting me. He said, but why did you make this film? Uh-huh. And I would come up with, oh, no, no, no. I said, no, why are you doing it? He says, you have something that any one of us editors in this building can't do. And that's a perspective that you have. Yeah. And I didn't want to be part of this film. It was because, and the reason was my ego. My ego was saying, stay away from being part of this because then they, you're not a filmmaker. You're the son of the musician mm, first. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, for me watching it, it, it was wonderful when it felt like, oh, this is a personal, this is a father son story. Uh, exactly. And it worked. Yeah. Get, you know, yeah. once I dove into it, it made life much easier because now it's like, you know what? It's my story in terms of I can decide it's about my, and now it's still about the guys. Yes. You know, and that was the biggest, when we were doing the first cut, so, you know, we got recommended to uh, HBO and before we even finished the film and, and uh, we got recommended to HBO and another big film festival by Sundance. I said, what? And I talked to the guy at Sundance. I said, thank you so much. But why did, how, what, got us to this point. He says, the reason you didn't get picked, he says, we couldn't tell if it was a story about your father or the wrecking crew. Huh. And it was, and I said, that's a note that we keep getting. And he, and then all of a sudden something dawned on us or a friend said something. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just say it's the story about my father and his extended family, the wrecking crew. Yes. That one line cured everything. Yeah. Well, and along the, so you've got to, you include the stories of each of the Wrecking Crew's um, uh, session players, but you also have Brian Wilson and Cher and Glenn Campbell and Dick yeah. Clark all there on camera. W- was that a challenge to get them to speak to you? Very much, very much so. The When I say challenge, not to basically get to them. Mm. You're, the first thing in any of these kind of films is get past the gatekeeper. If, it, mm. if there's stars involved, yes. You know, the secretary, the manager, the agent, their job is to keep you away. Well, let's take uh, Brian Wilson. How do you, how do you get Brian Wilson to join you? Uh, it was basically, um, I put in a request for a long time, never get an answer back. And, and that's one of those things where I get scared. Like, I don't want to piss someone off. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> It was make a little line of sand outside his house and lead it into the yeah, studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but it was finally, it was another filmmaker, David Leaf, who vouched for me. And David did Smile documentary, amazing filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he told him, yeah, he's, he's for real, meaning me. Yep. And I got to, you know, interview, you know, Brian Wilson. And, you know, it's the toughest interview I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, interview. do they say, hey, you've got, hey, Denny, you've got 10 minutes. Well, that's, that's a great line. Uh, let's just, all right. So, um, this is between friends, of course. Okay. Uh, we'll go we'll leave this off the show. No, you can say it. You can put it on. Yeah. Okay. Um, D- uh, Brian is a very extremely giving man. He's very sweet. I mean, but you know, Brian has issues and mm-hmm. stuff. And when Brian does an interview, it's, you know, yes, no. Mm. And it's, you know, it doesn't expand on any questions. Mm. So I got there, I'm shooting film still, and I have five rolls of film. They're 11 minutes a piece. I'm thinking, all right, that'll cover me for an hour if I get that lucky mm-hmm. you know, to keep going and stuff. And I have all my notes. There's three pages of notes, and I'm ready. And I have the film camera going, and 
And <laughs> I got through three pages of notes, but in, but in one roll of film. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> Just like, like, and it was like, oh my God, it was brutal. And, you know, and he's not a big I, talker. I, no, not a big talker. And so he leaves and I went, oh my God, I just waited eight years for that. And my DP, <laughs> my DP, she yells across the room, eight years, 11 minutes. Oh boy. <laughs> but this is where the editor, thank God, Claire Scanlon, the editor just pulled it, pulled just enough out of it to make it work. Yes. Well, there's one the thing I remember Brian Wilson saying, um, because it certainly doesn't come across in in, in your movie that yeah. uh, he he was short with you at all. Mm. But uh, he he said about Carol Kay that she was, and I quote, like the best bass player in the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. at that time, which yes. I thought that's an incredible thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was the greatest thing is when she and he's talking about how, um, you know, being the leader and pumping and it was perfect. Yeah. Well, this, it also felt like a lot of love. I mean, with Cher and Dick Clark, I mean, they both were very articulate, and but that felt very generous towards the crew. I mean, they they were like... Yeah, Cher especially. Here's the thing about Cher was, I had worked with Cher on a video in the 80s. Ah. You know, one of her comeback, you know, careers. Was it the one with the torpedo? No, no, it's funny. It was actually they, banned. Uh... <laughs> it was banned. The video we did was banned. It was a metal vagina behind her. <laughs> what? <laughs> where, is the, where is this, Denny? Is it on YouTube? You know, that's a good, that's a really good question. I, You've got to find this. I, yeah, I wonder, because the, the director was brilliant. Because Mike's director. a huge fan of Cher. Yeah. Uh, and metal and vaginas. That's <laughs> true. You can't get better. Yeah. What a combination. And so I remember standing next to Cher when I was, you know, I was lighting and stuff and, I said to Cher, and Cher's very professional. Cher doesn't mess around. Mm. I said, oh, Cher, you know, my dad used to work with you in, in the old days. She goes, who's your dad? You know, really straightforward. Mm. I said, Tommy Tedesco. And she went, oh, my God. Oh. She goes, Tommy and Hal and Billy. And she's naming off the names. And, and realized she was 16 at this moment. <sighs> she, you know what I mean? And, well, she's saying on the Ronettes, right? The Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was one of her first jobs is Be My Baby is yeah. the backup. Incredible. So it was kind of like, so I knew if I could get to share, yeah. I might have a chance. And I was fortunate. I knew the, her agent or her manager. And I, and I said, do you mind asking? And I knew it's a big thing to ask anybody. Mm. And she goes, all right, I'll ask. And I know she did not think Cher would do it. And she came back with excitement and Cher loved to do it. Oh, and, you know, so well, she gets re she gets requests all day long. I'm sure. Oh God, these people. You know, that's the thing. I, 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 I you know, the thought of what they must get asked to do. Yeah, is pretty amazing. You know, and the, if you can get them, that's great. Well, let me ask yeah. you. I mean, did, what what did you learn about your dad that surprised you? You know, it wasn't about surprising me. Sometimes a new story would come up, which is always extraordinary. Yeah. Um, my dad had a reputation. Um, you know, whatever he could talk about his guitarmanship and his reading and all that. He was an amazing reader, mm -hmm. but it was his, the kindness that he gave to the new guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, I couldn't put that in the film because, you know, it didn't be all about dad, 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 tell me this. Mm -hmm. And, but the stories were phenomenal, yeah. you know, where he would take the hit when, you know, and this is just talking to people that seen the film or want to tell you a story about how he saved them on a recording date. Mm -hmm. And that was, to me, the greatest thing anybody could give to anybody in life is, you know, helping people. Yeah. 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 
We mentioned a few uh, artists at the, at the top of the show, Elvis, Beach Boys, etc. I mean, w- what did your dad have a, a favorite song of his or, or something that he kind of returned to as something that he was particularly proud of? Um, it, it's so funny because he was always asked, what are you most proud of? And he said, listen, he said, anybody, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but sure. he said anybody could play the Telecaster mm-hmm. at that time. You know, you could have had anybody taken the the Batman theme like he was or the green acres or, or uh, one of the beach, any of the beach boys or any of those songs, you know, I love that he did the Batman theme song. Yeah. That put a smile yeah. on my face too. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he said, but the, what he was most proud of is later in life is when he's working in the movies, really strictly working on movie tracks in the eighties. And he's been asked by John Williams or James Horner mm-hmm. Do me a favor, hold on for the next two, in the two weeks in September, which is a couple months from now, hold those first two weeks because uh, you got a film and it's all guitar. Now, that means they're not asking for a guitar player. They're asking for you. Yes. And there's only one or two guys that can sit in that chair for the, what they need. And that's usually that beautiful classical guitar, you know, that Spanish stuff. Yes. And it's going to be sensitive and it's going to be, be- and re- or maybe some really extremely hard reading that he was the guy for. And what did he do for John Williams and James Horner? Oh, he did. Uh, well, James Horner, he did uh, Feel the Dreams. It's actually on the oh, yeah. soundtrack, not in the movie, which mm-hmm. is the theme called Feel the Dreams. Absolutely extraordinary, gorgeous. Uh, he did Project X with him, Cocoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then with uh, Williams, he did, you know, all the usual Williams stuff, but he also did uh, one of the great movies uh, that no one would know was Conrad with John Voight. And it's all him. And it's just a beautiful score, very difficult score when he would give it to the, you know, like players to play, like he would do seminars. And then he did um, uh, The River, which was another John Williams piece. And it was always emotional kind of playing. And he was an emotional player. Yeah. Well, in preparing for the show, Denny, um, Pete and I each uh, went through the playlist of of all the Wrecking Crew songs. And uh, we each chose our individual top three. Oh, interesting. Songs. So I don't know what Pete's are, and Pete does not know what mine are. And you can certainly um, participate um, if you like. All right. Should we do this now? Should we do top yeah, three? Yeah, let's, let's just see what our top three are. I mean, bear in mind that it's, I find it almost impossible to choose favorites of anything. So in putting together well, a top with three. This, I, mean, I think we kind of could have done a top I feel 20. like I have a top 50, but I've kind right. of uh, <laughs> randomly yeah, whittled it down hard. to three. Um, okay, well, I'm going to start by telling you what is not on this list um, that kind of uh, was was up there and then didn't make my top three. Um, and that included California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas. Right. Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain Tennille has a special yeah. place in my uh, childhood heart. <laughs> Pink Panther, um, which the great Plaz Johnson plays in, in the film, yeah. which is yeah. an incredible moment. I love that. Um, so is. those, uh, Don Kishen, that didn't make oh, it. Oh, I love that. And actually one that, one that barely or didn't quite make my list, yeah. um, but man, I love this song, was uh, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe they worked on that. I know. Yeah, yeah. so that's much. how that's Hal and Joe Osborne and Larry Nectel. Oh, do you know? I, at some point, Denny, I want to hear a couple Hal Blaine stories. Oh okay. yeah. So top three though. Okay, what's your number three, Mike? My, Should we get a drum roll? Yeah. Yes. Let's we'll, get a Hal we'll Blaine drum solo. <laughs> drum, let's drum get Hal Blaine just to give us a quick drum roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Number three is. Sam Cooke's Twisting the Night Away. Yes. Ah, very good, yeah. yeah. Um, let me see. My number three, I, I think it's going to be Bridge Over Troubled Water. Ah, yeah. Simon Garfunkel. What yeah. a song. Yeah, that's a killer. 
Denny, okay. have, you got a, have you got a number three? I know you're going to have to make this up. Oh, but. you know, I'm, it's funny because now I'm like spinning. Just give us one song. But I'll, I'll give you, you keep going and I'll tell you stories of each one of those. Okay. Okay. All right. okay. All right. Let's say, let's just jump in here. Yeah. The So Larry Nectel is the man that plays the opening of uh, the bridge over troubled water, the opening, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the piano. piano stuff. Yeah. And he got, ended up getting an arrangement uh, Grammy for that. And it's just gorgeous. It I is. mean, you know, it's just, they would give him, you know, they give him whatever and he just goes. Well, I mean, let's give a, a quick context to these guys, which is um, they were, they could record an album in a day. There was one uh, mo- moment in the film where someone saying we recorded an album a day for six weeks. Yes. It was Earl Palmer. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm a big Palmer. Beatles was, fan. I was blown yeah. away by the fact that, you know, the Beatles famously recorded their first LP in a day. It was such a big deal. Yeah. And then there's like these guys making an album a day for six weeks. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, well, that was Liberty Records. And this is part of why they were, the reason they were pumping out an album a day is it was the same reason I never got my film help, any help with at the beginning is because it's all about economics. Mm-hmm. You know, when in the early 60s, rock and roll, they're not sure if it's going to sell. <laughs> All right? you know, so they're not, you know, labels, that's why these put these guys to to work because they need to know they're not going to get the bands jerking around and mm-hmm. messing about and just taking hours and days to get an album out. So they put studio musicians in to do the tracks and we'll figure out how to slip the group onto it. And that's how they did it. And so once it starts kicking in, now you got radio kicking in top 40 radio. Now that's pushing album sales now we got hey we got to put out albums boom 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 liberty records jumps in mm-hmm. they have janet dean they got vicky carr they got this 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 and now they're just pumping it out well one of the guys though says one of the musicians says that these guys could do in three hours what would take a lot of other musicians three weeks in the studio yeah it would and, that's and, how and good they, they were they were allowed the session a union session was three hours and you were allowed as a as a player the rule was you can only do three or four songs the most. They didn't want you overdoing it. <laughs> and, you know, don't forget now, you only have one track in the early days. Mm. So you have to nail that track from beginning to end, all five, ten, six, whatever, orchestra, whatever it is, in one take. Now, you don't have Pro Tools of punching in and editing. It's going to take, you know, and if you start bouncing around, ping-ponging, as they call it, you're going to lose tracks, you know, you, you know, the quality. So they mm. had to be good. Completely tight yeah. band. So let's get back to our top three. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, it's so easy to get sidetracked. There's so much to talk yeah, about. Sorry. No, don't apologize. Um, but if you've got any stories about the tracks we we're about to name, then yeah, uh, so feel that, free to jump in. Was um, is Sam Cook? Yep. And then on that is uh, Earl Palmer, and my dad's on guitar. Um, Earl's on drums, and Jackie Kelso, who's one of the great sax men. So when you're talking to people about twisting the night away, I mean, are they, do they remember that session or is this just like yet another session? Jackie did. Jackie totally did. And again, it's too bad because uh, I wish I would have asked my dad. I know my dad, when he worked with um, Sam Cooke, he liked Sam Cooke as a singer much more than Marvin Gaye, Mm -hmm. you know, and they worked with Marvin Gaye years later. (laughs) All right. Number two. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Number two. So what's your number two, Mike? Okay. My number two, I went with... Surfer Girl by the Beach Boys. Oh, beautiful. Well, my Love number two. I've actually got. I've. I've got two songs tied for second place here. Oh, um, mm. so my bending the rules here. Yeah, I bend the rules a yeah. little bit. It's kind of hard to narrow it down. Mm. Okay, so I've got uh, tying for second place. 
Good Vibrations, because mm. wow, what a song. Mm. Uh, and actually a personal favorite of mine, which is Everybody's Talking by Harry Nilsson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so good I, I, love, I love me some Harry Nilsson. Yeah. I should have done a Tide for a second, too. Yeah, if only you'd Oh, there that. you go. Now you can't <laughs> get away with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the Beach Boys, uh, they were basically on the road, um, and they the Wrecking Crew would come in with Brian Wilson and would perform these albums. The guys who were known as the Beach Boys were not playing on the albums at all. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, basically, the guys, you know, and at that point, Brian never left. So it made it so much easier. You know, I brought this up to, I did an interview with Mike Love and Bruce Johnson recently. Ah. And I asked them, I said, and I, you know, you, you know, the relationship there is kind of strange yes. always. Yeah. So you kind of like, I'm on uh, tippy toes. But I asked them, I said, was it easier for Brian to produce because he would, if it, you know, versus working with your family, yeah, uh, versus you know, uh, musicians that are getting paid. He says absolutely, but more than that, he said these guys were better musicians. We didn't stand a chance next to these guys. You know, we couldn't fill those shoes. <laughs> wow, Mike Love said that. Yeah, no, he was very giving. That's very generous. <laughs> no, no, and it was amazing. He said, you know, Brian. He's, he said Brian had dog ears. Mm -hmm. You know, he called it dog ears. He yeah. said Brian would hear things that no one could hear. <laughs> and, you know, he said he just wouldn't give up until he, he got it. Yeah. Well, in, and in your in your film, with the, when the Wrecking Crew basically say Brian Wilson was a true genius, I mean, given their musical credibility, that sounded like a real endorsement. I mean, it's clear that the, yeah. the man really was a genius. Yeah. Number one choice, Pete. Right. Number one. What'd you choose? You're going to do yours first? I went with Frank Sinatra's That's Life. That's oh, wow. Life. Yeah. Wow, that's a pretty good song. <laughs> it's hard to beat. But I, again, I went for a, like a personal favorite. Um, but These I, are I, all I, personal favorites. Yeah, I guess, I guess they are. You, you, that nice is the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> I hated this song. Yeah. <laughs> of course. These are my favorite too. <laughs> I went for Wichita Lineman by Glenn uh, Campbell. As your number one. I love that song. It's such a special I, I, song. Really love it. That is a killer song. Well, what's wild about Glenn Campbell is that he was part of the Wrecking Crew yeah. and then became a solo star. Yeah, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, before I, I watched that's before the before. thing. No one understood. No, you know, Glenn was when interviewing Glenn in, in two thousand and two. Glenn had such fond memories of this era because he said, "I had more fun with the guys ever you know, than I ever did having a, to be a solo act." He says, "I hated it. You know, it was hard for him. He missed the camaraderie." Oh, absolutely. He said, you know, I'm going to work playing with the greatest musicians, the greatest artists. You know, now it's all up to me. You know, so it was very hard on him, you know, when he ended up being solo. And it was something that, you know, yes, he wanted to be an artist, but it, it fell into his lap in a lot of ways. Well, Denny, I mean, why did the Wrecking Crew come to an end? Just time. You know, the reality of, you know, every, like my dad said, we're just baseball players, you know, it's new players come in, yeah. new sound comes in. It wasn't like they couldn't play. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was very fortunate because he could read as a, you know, as someone said, fly shit, mm -hmm. you know, on paper. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was called. And yeah. he could put those notes together and he went into film and TV and that's a different animal for session players. You know, you hear people say, oh yeah, I'm a session player put him in front of 90 musicians open in the room at bar 72, just himself on guitar. Yeah. See what, see where the panic sets in. Yeah. And talking of new sounds coming in, uh, isn't that how the Wrecking Crew got their name? 
Well, exactly. The wrecking crew supposedly was, came from um, was Hal Blaine's little thing was he said the older guys said they're going to wreck the business. And the reason they said that the older guys, when these guys are playing this rock and roll stuff, they hated it. So these are the and, studio musicians in the 50s, right? Yeah, 50s and 60s. And they, listen, these guys are legit players, the older guys. I mean, you know, you're at, and now you're asking them to, A, do demos. Demos are at this point illegal, mm. you know, demonstrate demo albums. So you'd be doing a demo and all of a sudden they just use it as a master. So these guys and the uh, older guys said, I ain't taking a chance with that and, you know, get busted. So some of it could cash dates, whatever. And they, or they just hated rock and roll. My father was an opportunity to play. I don't care. I'm getting paid. Well, look, I know that we could talk about the, the documentary itself all day long, but we, this is supposed to be a show about uh, crowdfunding. Right. So we let's have just a quick couple of minutes on crowdfunding. <laughs> uh, I want to hear Sinatra stories. Yeah, I know, I know. So many. I tell look, you, I tell you, I'll give you a quick Sinatra. All right, good man. Give us a quick Sinatra story. He hated strangers and strangers on the train. In the night? Oh, he hated that Hitchcock film. Stranger than, in the train, he hated that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he hated Strangers in the Night. And he called it Stranglers in the Night. And uh, that song was brought to him because Dean Martin told him, you got to get this kid Jimmy Bowen to produce for you. He's doing great stuff with me. So he goes, all right, fine, whatever. And so they do it and they come together. They have a three-hour session with the orchestra. You know, and he hates the song. It doesn't matter. He does his thing. He knocks it out in an hour and a half. He's done the song with the audience and everything else. And at the end, he goes, booby doo doo He's scatting. <laughs> the reason he's scatting is because he's forgotten the lyric at that point. Uh, so uh. they have to decide, do they go with it? You know, and they do. <laughs> well, I love that he hates this song, but ends up having to sing it probably every night for the next 40 oh, yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So let's let's talk about the crowdfunding. That was part one of our two-part conversation with Denny Tedesco, filmmaker and successful crowdfunder. In our next episode, we get deeper into crowdfunding with Denny, uh, his tips on how to run a successful campaign. His was certainly hugely successful, and he can't resist telling us more great stories around the music industry. So catch that in our next episode of Crowd Scene. You may have noticed that Mike and I have taken a break from the show this summer, but we've been far from idle. In fact, we've been working on another project together, and we've decided to put what we've learned on Crowd Scene to good use and crowdfund it. It's a project we're very excited about, so watch this space. We'll surely be talking about it some more in a future episode. Our big thanks to our guest, Denny Tedesco, for his time and his insights in this episode. To find out more about the film The Wrecking Crew, visit wreckingcrewfilm.com and don't forget to get the DVD. And be sure and check it out on Netflix. So the film is on there now. And follow them on Facebook at The Wrecking Crew. And to get in touch or hear about upcoming guests on this podcast, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Crowd Scene Show. If you like the podcast and would like us to make more episodes, a great way to support the show is to write a review on iTunes. It just takes a second and helps us reach more listeners. Thanks very much. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Crowd Scene on iTunes or any other podcast app. Thanks also to Kim Bookbinder for the Crowd Scene theme music. Check her out at kimbookbinder.com and our friend and audio wizard Jim Fowler at jimfowlermusic.com. We've got more episodes coming out. Uh, they come out every two weeks, uh, so be sure to subscribe. So until next time, from Mike, from Pete, thank you for listening.
that's why I call epic.